Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Tuesday, or rather Thursday, February 23rd. It's the Feast of St. Dositheus, who lived in the early part of the Middle Ages. Leading a worldly life, his visits to Jerusalem, where he saw a painting of souls being tormented in hell. It's changed his life forever. He asked the lady who showed him this painting what to do to avoid being condemned, and she told him to flee sin and pray. In response, he moved into a monastery where he was taught how to fast, control his temper and moods, and sacrifice his will. After five years of novitiate, St. Dositheus became gravely sick with a lung disease and died in his bed wrapped in the bosom of virtue. His ability to interpret Holy Scripture in a unique way was a sign of a special grace, which comes from reaching a high degree of contemplation. This contemplative spirit enabled him to serve the sick in a way that united him to Jesus Christ. St. Dositheus, pray for us. And good morning to you. Praise be to God. I hope that you had a blessed um, Ash Wednesday. Uh, did you get to? Did you make it to mass? Were you able to get those ashes? I know Ash Wednesday is the second, I believe, most attended mass after Christmas, which I think is kind of funny because Ash Wednesday is not even a holy day of obligation. <laughs> so <laughs> it's kind of amusing that people will go to Ash Wednesday before they go to Easter mass, when Easter is the biggest holiday of the year. Christmas probably the second, and Ash Wednesday wouldn't even rank up there in the, like the top ten uh, yet. Ash Wednesday is uh, the second most attended Mass in the year. Uh, we also are seeing people doing drive through ashes and things like that. It was kind of amusing, if you ask me. And most of those people are typically Episcopalians or Methodists who do that kind of thing. Uh, 15 past the hour, we're going to discuss the topic of hospice care. And that's going to be a very controversial topic. At uh, 30 past the hour, we'll be speaking with Dr. Anthony Stein with the Practical Carnivore to discuss the EU allowing cricket protein for human consumption and the cattle kill-off happening in Gila National Park in New Mexico. So that's going to be a very interesting topic. In the next hour, we're going to be playing our game Fear and Trembling. That's going to be an amazing game, I'm sure. And also, uh, just a reminder, tomorrow is Friday. And on Friday, we're going to be drawing the name of the winner of our Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 in polar <laughs> white. All that is going to be happening on Friday, tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Central Time. So make sure you tune in to see who is going to be winning that uh, new vehicle. It won't be me, I'll tell you that. But it could be you. So tune in to find out at 7 a.m. Central tomorrow. Uh, but good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. Wow, it was packed. The, the Ash Wednesday uh, Mass, and what amazes me is what you just said at the beginning. It's even more well attended than Easter, and Easter's third, I assume. It sh it's, should be the other way around. I mean, Ash Wednesday should not should be well attended, but it's not a day of obligation. Easter should be number one. So it's just the hold of the culture that we have from Christianity has diminished so much. And what's amazing is that even the Protestant denominations are picking up on this hugely. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of funny to me because the Ash Wednesday is, like we said, it's not a holy obligation. I'm not saying that you shouldn't go to Ash Wednesday Mass. Of course you should. I just find it amusing that people will show up on Ash Wednesday, but they do. you do realize that every Sunday is a holy day of obligation, right? 
Like you have to go to Mass on Sunday. Ash Wednesday is optional. You should go. I highly recommend it. But if you're going to Ash Wednesday Mass and not Sunday Mass, what are you what are you doing? I, I'm just wondering. I, I, go go back to Mass. Skip out on Ash Wednesday this year, and instead commit to going to Mass every Sunday. Instead, I will allow that. I will take that trade. Um, but did, were you able to make it to Mass? How was uh, how was Mass, uh, Tito? It was packed at a small parish that I went to. I haven't been there in years. And I uh, got my ashes. Which kind of ash did you get? Did you get the, the ginormous ashes where he like, just rubs his thumb across your entire head? Or was it more of a, of a little sprinkle? Oh, it was nice, nicely rubbed on my forehead. I had the mark of Jesus on there. I, it was highly visible from about 100 meters away. Nice, nice. I really appreciate everyone in our Telegram chat uh, sharing pictures of uh, them receiving their ashes and their families. It was nice to see everybody. So praise be to God. So thank you to all of our CDT insiders who are uh, sending us our, the photos of their Ash Wednesday masses and Mass Wednesday um, services. Very interesting, um, I thought. And I personally love Mass because there was no sermon. And I was like, oh. I'm going to go to bed. I went to Mass at 7 p.m. and I was like, please, please, God, no sermon. No sermon so I can go get in and out, head off to bed. And thanks be to God, there was no sermon. So I survived it and it was a good, so it was a blessing. But let's begin in prayer. We're praying that you have a wonderful Lent this year, that you're day two. I hope you were able to keep up with the fasting yesterday, but I hope you were able to continue the Lenten fast all Lent long. So my prayer is for that. We're also going to continue praying for the people in Ohio. That's a very concerning situation that keeps getting worse by the day, it seems. And so we're praying for the people in Ohio. And uh, we're going to pray for whatever it is that you need prayers for, for your family, for your friends, uh, for all those that we are keeping in our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Today is Thursday, February 23rd, and these are your headlines for today. Gina Christian at OSV News reports the Philly pastor says the pipe bomb not directed at the church but endangered a freight line. A Philadelphia pastor told OSV News he did not believe an unexploded pipe bomb found some 100 yards from his church was a direct threat to his parishioners. Given the distance of the object from the parish church and buildings, Father Kearns said he did not believe St. Dominic's structures, parishioners, or school students were the intended targets. The German news site Welt reports four female delegates withdraw from German synodal path. Four women who had been participating as delegates in the German bishop synodal path initiative had dropped out of the effort citing the attacks on church teachings and the dangers of schism. Nicole Winfield at Associated Press reports the journalist's testimony backs former Vatican financial watchdog. 
Testifying at the Vatican's financial misconduct trial, an Italian investigative journalist rejected the claim of Vatican prosecutors that Tommaso de Russa, the former head of the Financial Information Authority, had leaked a copy of a contract for a troubled London real estate deal. And finally, Joe Burkus at Catholic News Agency reports housekeeper's husband officially charged in murder of L.A. Auxiliary Bishop O'Connell. Carlos Medina, the suspect in the murder of the L.A. Auxiliary Bishop, was arraigned in state court Wednesday and formally charged with one count of murder and a special allegation that he personally used a firearm. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. The gospel of the day comes from the, from the gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 22 through 25. The Son of Man, he said, is to be much ill-used and rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be put to death and rise again on the third day. And he said to all alike, If any man has a mind to come my way, let him renounce himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He who tries to save his life will lose it. It is the man who loses his life for my sake that will save it. How is a man the better for gaining the whole world if he loses himself, if he pays for the forfeit of himself? The Gospel of the Lord. The commentary in the Gospel today comes from Cornelius Alopidae. He says that, And he that taketh not from the hand of the Lord upon his shoulder to bear it like Christ, his cross. To bear the cross is to be ready for the sake of Christ to bear reproaches, stripes, imprisonments, and the most painful and ignominious death, such as was the death of the cross, which Christ vouchsafed to bear for us, because as St. John Chrysostom says, speaking in the name of Christ, as I have brought you the utmost blessedness, so I ask of you a singular obedience and affection, that ye may be as lions in battle array. Christ alludes to his future bearing of his own cross, for it is altogether just and right that after Christ bearing his cross for us, we also should follow him, bearing our cross with love and reverence, and thus walks towards heaven. This is the exact literal sense. I found that very interesting because I had never really considered the fact that the apostles, when they heard this statement, they had not yet witnessed the crucifixion. When we read this, we already know that Christ was crucified and that he rose from the dead, right? But the apostles, whenever they hear our Lord saying, you must take up your cross daily and follow me, they don't know that Christ is going to be crucified on a cross, that he's going to be carrying his cross, that he's going to have the shoulder wound of Christ that's going to be pressing down upon him. They don't know that yet. And our Lord is telling them, hey, foreshadowing. And so he continues, Cornelius Lapide says, mystically, the cross is mortification. Listen to the gloss. The cross is born in two ways. Either when the body is affected by abstinence, or when the mind is touched with compassion for one's neighbor. Their neighbor's sins are an instrument of torture to the saints. Are you wounded? Is your heart wounded when people commit sin? It should be. It should be, according to Cornelius Lapide. 
You should be affected by abstinence whenever you're fasting and things like that. That should be a cross. But also sin, public sin should wound you because you have love of God. It should hurt you you when you notice that other people are offending him. Lastly, St. Jerome says, It is written in another gospel, He that taketh not his cross daily, lest we should suppose that a burning faith would suffice once for all, the cross must be always carried, that we may show that we always love Christ. This is very good, that we should carry our cross daily. We cannot say, well, I'm going to carry my cross on Wednesdays, uh, maybe Fridays, and mm, Mondays are always painful, so maybe that day. No, it's a daily offering. We must go, we cannot go a single day without offering our sufferings for Christ. And lastly, with the time I have, I wanted to read this from uh, what it was Lent like a hundred years ago, or actually much longer. And the Canon of Constance from 1275 to 1332 talks about what Lent was like. Therefore, blessed tell Sophorius, seventh from Peter, orders us to fast for 40 days after the Holy Pasch. This thus duly to return the tithe of days to him who tithes the whole world, and to cleanse the year's sins of omission, and thus come more worthily to the sacred feast. These days are called by their number a quadragesima. Whosoever violates a single day in Lent is guilty of marring in entirety. He also bade the clergy to abstain beginning in quinquagesima, so he's saying that the clergy had to start fasting before everyone else. But this custom has not been retained. For we read Moses was the first to fast for 40 days that he might become the lawgiver. We too, to whom each of Christ's deeds is a teaching, and to follow our Lord is a great glory. Let us follow him by keeping these days hollowed by such weighty reason. During these, let us eat but once a day, and no flesh meat or animal products such as milk, cheese, or eggs. For flesh feeds flesh. If you so feed it, you often fuel its vices. But if you restrain it, you also curb its deeds. It is a good to abstain not only from flesh meat, but from all things which supply the flesh with nourishment. Let us therefore be sparing with food and drink, and with sleep, chatter, and play. During these days, law permits eating fish, so long as eating them does not lead to excess. During then, we may also drink wine. So there is the practice of Lent from 400 years ago, 500 years ago, 800 years ago. There we go. 800 years ago. Trying to do math in my head. 800 years ago, that was the practice of Lent. Wow. Maybe we could take up one or two of those. I'm sticking with, I'm going to eat one meal a day. Only consume one meal a day. That's my practice for Lent. What's yours? I would like to know. Uh, Coming up next, we're going to talk about hospice care. So we'll be right back. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross Studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the Angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Thursday. You're almost to the weekend. Congratulations. I'm very proud of you. You've almost made it. I'm curious, have you accomplished everything you needed to do this week? Are there things on the to-do list that haven't gotten done yet? Well, today's the day. you got to double down. got to work faster. But we're going to be talking about hospice care. And I know this is a very sensitive topic for many people because, you know, they have friends and family and maybe their parents or grandparents who have been, have gone through hospice care already or are currently in hospice care. And so I want to understand, I understand that people are going through that and may have that as their personal experience. But I, I want to chat about this because of a number of reasons. One, it kind of came to my attention because I have a couple friends who were telling me how their family members, whenever they went through hospice care, they were being pushed the these uh, morphine and other drugs like that to try to hasten their death. And I heard about that and I started asking other people and I heard a, a very similar story over and over again from various people. And so I made a tweet. And I, and I had this moment as a kind of a personal experience as well that I um, will refrain from sharing. But the, the I've tweeted out hospice care tends to be sanitized murder. And people got very upset and people were upset all over the place about this topic. Uh, one person said, how so? And I was saying how they kind of guise this idea of compassionate way of dying or a peaceful dying. And they give these drugs or push for these things. And so people are saying, well, you can't say something like that without giving an alternative. And I was saying, well, not really. I mean, I can, I'm just making a point here, but an alternative would be them to stay home. And I understand that hospice cares can be at home. People are accu accusing me of ignorance and of not knowing the way hospice works. Uh, but one person was saying that, yeah, whenever they were trying to, to go through it uh, with their family member, that the first nurse on the scene pushed morphine, morphine like there was no other. Other people said, if you have not had someone close to you go through this, your words can be very hurtful and degrading. Well, I, I didn't mean for it to be hurtful or degrading, just stating a point. And I'm not sure how me having a family member who has gone through this or not gone through this changes the truth or falsity of the matter. So I'm going to start uh, going through some some things that I think is very in interesting when I started researching this, because I was saying, okay, well, I was told that I am ignorant on this topic, so let me may be not ignorant about this topic. And, and while I was looking at this information, I found 
a lot of very concerning points. One of the concerning points that I found here was this article by LifeSite News, or rather CNA. The House of Representatives passed a bill late Monday, that's on two weeks ago, to support palliative care. But Catholic groups are concerned that a key omission could allow funding of practices that say amount to assisted dying. On Monday, the House passed Palliative Care and Hospice Education and Training Act, H.R. 647. The bill requires that fund, federally funded palliative care be in accord with Assisted Suicide Funding Restriction Act of 1997 and that it cannot promote assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. Now, this sounds really good, but the House bill omits language contained in the Senate version of the legislation that was introduced by Senator Tammy Baldwin in July. The Senate bill stated, quote, as used in this act, palliative care and hospice shall not be furnished for the purpose of causing or the purpose of assisting in causing a patient's death for any reason. A many Catholic organizations supported the Senate bill, including the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the Catholic Health Association and the Catholic Medical Association. Yet the House bill was only supported by the Catholic Health Association. The others did not support, came out and come out in support of the House bill. Saying the, the USCCB spokesperson, Greg Shelbin, Shelbinbach, said, We support the Senate version, and we made it clear to both the House and the Senate that we want the Senate version to prevail. That's very important. Why? Because this is what I was talking about yesterday with the slippery slope argument. When people start going through the, this, uh, we start letting people give a, a little footing in for the language, it starts to lead to worse and worse things. And when I was saying this about hospice care, I don't mean hospice care 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 60 years ago, however it was. In fact, I am very well aware that hospice care was originally created by Catholic nuns, where Catholic nuns would help support people at the end of their life. And that's just good things. These are, these are works of mercy, to take care of those who are dying. And so we have to try to recognize that, yeah, there's a difference. And how do I know this? Well, because Pope Francis actually released a document fairly recently uh, labeled the, the Good Samaritan. And it's a 45-page document. I recommend reading the entirety of it. It's actually really good. And it's uh, in the CDF. It says, in particular, required basic care for each person, including the administration of the nourishment and fluids needed to maintain bodily homostasis insofar as and until this demonstrably attains the purpose of providing hydration and nutrition for the patient. The withdrawal of this sustenance is an unjust action that can cause great suffering to the one who has to endure it. Nutrition and hydration do not constitute medical therapy in a proper sense. They are instead forms of obligatory care of the patient, representing both a primary, clinical, and unavoidable human response to the sick person. It should be recognized, however, that the definition of palliative care has in recent years taken on a sometimes equivocal connotation. In some countries, national laws re regulating palliative care, as well as the laws on the end of life, provide along with the palliative treatments, sometimes called medical assistance to the dying. That can include the possibility of requesting euthanasia and assisted suicide. They imply that it would be morally lawful to request euthanasia or assisted suicide. It can involve the administration of medications that intend to hasten death, as well as the suspension or interruption of hydration and nutrition, even when death is not imminent. 
In fact, such practices are equivalent to a direct action or a mission to bring about death and are therefore unlawful. Vulnerable persons who needed only to be better cared for and comforted, but are instead being led to choose euthanasia and suicide. This is a great document. I recommend checking out the entirety of it. It's 45 pages long, so it's a little a little lengthy. But that is a very important point because in the document, it points out, and they're talking about palliative care, which is different from hospice care, and I understand that. Uh, palliative care tends to be more prolonged, and it tends to be, in my opinion, better. Whereas hospice care, especially in America specifically, it's different in other countries, hospice care in America it needs to be confirmed by two doctors that you will die within six months. And that gives an incentive of the hospices because they receive money and they can get in trouble with money if they do not, if the person does not die within six months. So now they have an incentive there uh, monetarily, which is why you have to make a distinction between modern hospice care, modern palliative care, and be careful about how people use words because people try to equivocate hospice, palliative, peaceful dying, all these compassionate dying, all these things are kind of euphemisms. And so, yes, you may say those words and you mean, oh, I mean compassionate dying or peaceful dying as, and as in they're suffering with dignity, they are, have a priest at their side, their families with them. That's maybe what you mean by that, but that may not be what other people mean by that. And it's important to bring this up so that way we can be aware and keep this in mind when we're going through this. Because typically, I mean, there were cases when I was looking into this, I saw some pretty horrific cases, but I'm not going to bring those up because I assume it's not the norm. I don't know, but I assume it's not the norm. But typically, from my understanding, it's if they they will try to push this kind of idea of peaceful dying by giving morphine, by by voluntary stopping eating and drinking, a VSED, as they call it. And you can just push back on that and say, hey, no, we don't want to do that. And typically, they will respect that. It's very rare from my understanding, and if you have a different experience, I'd be curious if you know more, if you're involved in the hospice care industry and you're more aware of it, I'd be curious as your experience. But that typically happens, and it's very concerning. Uh, continuing, in Canada, it's actually, it's actually really bad as well, and I will skip over Canada's news because it's, it's a lot to cover in multiple countries, and there are different laws there. But the uh, ProPublica and the New Yorker joint uh, an investigation talking about this. They said the four largest hospice trade associations jointly sent out a detailed memo of policy proposals for the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Among its proposals, the memo discussed the need to rein in predatory marketing schemes. ProPublica's reporting found that profit-seeking providers can take advantage of the fact that many people don't know what hospice is to recruit new patients who are not dying. Some hospice marketers known as in the industry as community liaisons or community educators aggressively solicit new patients with promises of free housekeeping and trips to the beach and casino. Yes, this is very concerning because the regulation I found out um, that the regulation there is almost non-existent, that pretty much anybody can open up a hospice care facility. ProPublica also talked about that half of all Americans die in hospice. To qualify for the government benefit, two doctors must certify a patient is terminally ill with a life expectancy of six months or less. Some hospices boost profits by signing people up regardless of whether they are dying. And I recommend checking out uh, Pro, uh, what is the name of them? The ProPublica's their their document on this because they they go through detailedly about 
what you need to ask when you're trying to sign up your family members for hospice. Questions you need to ask, things you need to check out, so that way they don't fall prey to these predatory ideas. And this medical doctor released a document that I thought was very interesting, and I won't have time to go through it. And it goes through the ethical question for people, for Catholics that are involved in hospice care. Because I agree, there are many, many people who are involved in hospice care that are good people, who have great intentions, who want to help these people legitimately. But sometimes they are deluded into thinking that and providing them morphine and moving them to, to die quickly and quietly is the best course of action for them to make them suffer less. But we have to understanding, and I won't be able to get into this because we're running out of time. So instead, I want to pivot real quickly and say suffering is good. Suffering is good when it's united to the cross. And instead of trying to send these people into a a hospice care situation where they can be dying alone in bed uh, and drugged up. Let's not do that. And if that's not your situation, then I'm not talking about you. If instead we should love our family members, our elderly, our grandparents, our great grandparents, our parents who are dying, we should go visit them and let them know that God is there for them, that they can ha- use their suffering to save souls. How many of us have sons daughters, brothers, sisters, grandsons, grand, great-grandsons who are, have left the faith, who have abandoned the faith, who are living a desolate life. At the end of our life, whenever our suffering may be the worst that we've ever experienced in our lives, at the end of our lives where we go where we do not want to, where people take us and feed us, and all these things that are not pleasant when we're engaged in those things, that is the perfect opportunity to not waste your suffering. To instead offer up those sufferings as the greatest act of love in your life. Offer up those sufferings for your family members, for your friends who have left the faith, who are living a desolate life, who need your suffering now more than ever before. Let's preach that message and let's visit those who are lonely. How many people choose to die because they're lonely and they have no one to talk to, no one to listen to them? Let's care for our family in a way that may be a burden to us, may be a cross. So let's take up our cross daily and follow Christ. We'll be right back with some news about our food. Are you eating crickets and not knowing it? We'll be right back. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 AD, 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation but that's okay that guy will probably end up being welcomed in a church down the street I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic 
and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know, and now in these past couple years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Sorry about that, folks. Today is Thursday, February 23rd, and these are your headlines for today. Anthony Yafradi at Catholic Vote reports, The following 13 dioceses have the healthiest priestly vocations. Covington, Lexington, and Louisville, all in Kentucky, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Lafayette, Indiana, and Lafayette in, uh, <clears throat> in Louisiana, along with Lake Charles, Peoria, Illinois, Youngstown, Ohio, the Ordinariate of the Chair of St. Peter, and Worcester, Massachusetts, and Monterey, California. Father Justin John Diakouk at the Pillar Reports Nigerian Christians Brace for ele Election as Islamic Clerics Call All-Muslim Ticket a Jihad. Nigeria's Christian leaders are calling for both full engagement in the country's democratic process and faith in the viability of the country's future ahead of elections scheduled for February 25th. After Islamic religious leaders have backed an all-Muslim presidential ticket on religious grounds, Ngala Kilian Chimpton at Crux reports Egyptian Christians in Libya face toxic mix of racism and religious hostility. Six men who traveled to Libya for work were illegally taken at a checkpoint and transported to an unknown destination. They were eventually released, but during that time, reports say they were tortured and were treated even worse once their abductors discovered they were Christians. In a report, Christian Solidarity Worldwide said they were held in a small crowded room with an exposed toilet and were only released after a ransom of $15,000 were paid. And finally, Lucia Graziano at Aletea reports how two icons of St. Anastasia ended up in orbit. In 1988, valuable frescoes uncovered from lime in Sale San Giovanni revealed Saint Anastasia. The then USSR collaborated with the Italians to restore the frescoes. In commemoration of this great event, the Russians sent two icons in one of their satellites and it is still there today. I am Tito Edwards and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. And, you know, I was reading some comments during, uh, during the break about uh, the topic of the hospice care, and I saw some, a lot of good things. Uh, Becky was saying that her father in the 19, 1990s, that they had a great experience with hospice care, no pushing of morphine, but they made sure he was comfortable. And many people were saying uh, on Facebook, we, June and Isabel Yabara said, our Uvalde hospice team is amazing, so loving and caring. Mimi said in, in the Texas Hill Country, their hospice care operates from Catholic perspective, Ave Maria Hospice. Praise be to God. I'm very curious. Maybe that's the question of the day. I'll leave a comment, and uh, if you're watching online, leave a comment. If you're listening, um, then find our social media feeds and join the YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Facebook, and leave a comment on your experience. I know I've had a, a negative experience. Tito was telling me he had a negative experience. Many people have, and many people had amazing experiences with hospice care. So I'm very curious as to what your experience was. Uh, but joining us right now via Zoom chat is Anthony Stein with The Practical Carnivore and probably more well-known to the Catholic audience, uh, Return to Tradition. But I wanted to invite him on more in the capacity of the practical carnivore because they're primarily the, the intention is talking about carnivore, right? But more 
I really love the fact that he covers these these food news that I'm calling it. And so food news, what was like you think, well, that's kind of a weird topic, right? But do you ever realize that what we eat is not always exactly what we think it is? And it's very concerning. It's very concerning. <laughs> and so joining us now is Dr. Anthony Stein. Tell us uh, before we get started about your, your channel, Carn- the Practical Carnivore. I started it a how to take these out. I started a while ago as a just having a lot of opinions that I wanted to just get out there and no one to talk to them about. <laughs> and I figured, well, YouTube's a great place for people who think too highly of their own opinions to <laughs> put them out there. So um, I wrote, you know, when I was in grad school, I started my PhD on sustainable development. I started really talking of initially wanting to do food systems and food security and things like that. But then Laudato C sort of threw that all up in the air and changed my focus. But I had a lot of this like food system background. And as I started getting into like ketogenic and then later carnivore diets, I started noticing that a lot of this, <laughs> a lot of the problems in the, with a, you know, human health around the Western world, it seems to be most of the Western world, but increasingly elsewhere has to do with how people eat. And it's not, and I, that seems logical and not something you'd have to say really, but it's not, so much that that our food is it's not so much that people don't know how to eat it's more that regardless of what they eat it seems that people just keep falling them finding that no matter what they do their health gets worse and worse and there's great examples of this that you may have uh, encountered in real life if you've ever met a european who spent any time in the united states and they go out of their way not to change how they eat at all and they came to the america skinny they usually go back 20 pounds heavier and they don't change how they eat. They buy their food at the grocery store, maybe buying it at Whole Foods or something, cooking it themselves, eating up minimally, and they go back fatter. And they can't explain it. And then they get back to Europe, and guess what happens? The weight falls off. There is something wrong with our food. And it's not, and I think it's at least partially to do, to blame, is the prevalence, not just of fast food, but of uh, you know highly processed junk that gets passed off as food. You walk around that middle section of the grocery store and you start grabbing food, you know, packaged food off the shelf and you read the labels. You need a chemistry degree to know what most of those things are. And sometimes they disguise really disgusting ingredients under like innocent sounding names. Like my favorite example was uh, yesterday I did a video on how in the European Union they've now made it legal to hide cricket powder, cricket protein powder in processed foods and in ground beef. The grocery oh, store. Not wow. ground beef. Oh, ground man. beef is a whole food. It's a That's... whole food, right? It's it's not processed. Well, now it is. If you, <laughs> that if you, is so really... you have to read the labels. Wow. Before we jump into that, Mr. Stein, Rudy Carlos here, uh, you know, I want to get your take on this processed food that we're we're receiving almost on a daily basis. Uh, like you said, you you need a chemistry degree to just kind of figure out what's in the ingredients and that should be pretty alarming to people to see that it's difficult to find things that are actually just what it says it is. If I, for example, went and got uh, beef jerky like I did the other day, uh, and, and I expect it to just be beef and salt, uh, I, <laughs> you know, I'm going to be a little bit surprised when I go in there and see that there's all kinds of nitrates and preservatives and all these crazy things uh, that, that are in there. What, what sort of effect are these things having on people's health? That's the $64,000 question. The officially the food industry pays for a lot of research into human health and the causes of obesity and other things. 
And you might think on the, at the, on the surface, that sounds like a great thing. But at the end of the day, they pay for the research and it ends up giving like the reports that come out from universities who are the ones doing the research usually paint a rosy picture about human food. And the, the, the carnivore community on YouTube has had a field day with this in the last month because there was an example of Tufts University had this research study that they published that said they came out with this new food compass that they call it. It's like food pyramid 3.0 basically. And it had a whole bunch of real like kale and other things that were like ideal foods sprinkled throughout it. But people noticed that Kellogg's and post cereals were, were placed really high on the, how healthy these foods are for you and how much of it you should be eating list. Like Reese's Puffs cereal was showed to be <laughs> something you could eat in like moderate to high amounts and be okay. Nice. Frosted mini wheats were high on the scale of things that you should mm. eat. And a whole egg, like an egg fried in butter was something you should avoid almost at all costs. Oh, wow. Ground beef <laughs> is something you should avoid at almost all costs. Well, I'm going to switch out my the diet superfood. Because things like kale really aren't actually that great for you for because a lot of the biochemistry involved in the plants. And saturated fats really aren't actually bad for you. Eggs are a, a superfood. And the fact that they put these things at the bottom of the food list is ridiculous and put frosted mini-wheats near the top. Yeah, I and can attest kind of to that because I, I went on an egg diet for a week one time and I had only ate eggs for, for seven days and I was actually levitating. I was honestly much felt much better than I did eating a full meal of just a regular American diet, which is what I thought was very weird. Uh, but let's go back real quickly about the topic of crickets and our meat like that just blew. I saw that and I was just absolutely flabbergasted. Uh, tell me about that. I mean, there's been a push, you know, there it's, you spend it, if you spend too much time on the internet, you, you've encountered the eat the bugs meme, right? Yes, of course. Well, that's because organizations like the World Economic Forum and others have been pushing governments and big business to get people to start consuming insects. And this is a huge business. There are factories in the United States now producing this for human consumption. And the laws are a little squishy in America, but you can go on Amazon right now and buy powdered cricket protein. As if, like, you put it in a shaker cup with water or milk and shake it up after your workout and drink it to get your protein. You can buy it already, which means it may actually be in some processed foods and not just specialty things. Because there are some, like, specialty snacks you can buy at, like, Whole Foods that not just, like, candied ants, which are weird enough. But there's, a like, a potato chip company that sells through Whole Foods that has some of the stuff already. So you're saying that, that it might already be in food that we're purchasing? Yeah, I've got a list now of different insect proteins and dis different insect types that are showing up in food and what the names are. And I'm going to make a video on that for next week. But the one the one that you're looking for for crickets is Aceta protein, A-C-H-E-T-A. -E you're not going to find that too much in America, I suspect, yet. But there are factories in the Midwest already producing insects for food, human consumption in food. And this is aside from the legal allowable amounts in a can in canned or processed foods you know that you know one part per thousand or something that's allowed by law we're not talking that we're talking this is a purposeful ingredient this is the recipe well that's really bad and I, we're gonna have to take a break on that note and when we come back uh, more about bugs in the food and what's going on with our cattle are they dying
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. How much havoc would be caused at your church if your pastor brought a big statue of St. Peter or St. Paul and placed them in the sanctuary? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history's on the side of the Catholic Church. Christian art in many forms dates way back to about 120 A.D., and so do those various Christian symbols which we still see today. You know, a dove, a fish, a lamb. Why are those okay? Secondly, the Bible, Exodus, Numbers, and Ezekiel... All these books show God telling Moses, David, or Ezekiel to carve out images of angels that were used in worship. And, and thirdly, a tough comeback, especially for my guy friends. Does Cooperstown, Canton, or Cleveland mean anything to you? Yep, the Hall of Fame locations filled with statues, jerseys, bats, and balls. Memorabilia is a $37 billion industry, but you say, don't bring a statue into my church. Well, how many of you guys have admired one of those bronze statues of an athlete? I'd rather stare at St. Peter's, Paul, and Mary in my church, and I'm not talking about the old folk band. Hey, Donnie, what do we say when we make the sign of the cross? In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Did Mama teach you that? As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And joining us right now is Dr. Anthony Stein with uh, The Practical Carnivore. He's also on Return to Tradition. I highly recommend checking out his channels, both of them. Return to Tradition, I check out every morning to get some news on what's going on in the church. And then recently, Practical Carnivore has been a daily driver for me as well. One, because I was trying out the carnivore diet. I'm not going to lie. I fell off of it a couple times already. And I've done that. Um, but also, more importantly and more interesting to me is actually the food news that he covers. He have, every other day, he'll have some story, and I'm just flabbergasted about what they're doing to our food and nobody knows about it. It just baffles my mind. Uh, but we were talking about the, the crickets in our food. And so I want to finish with that topic. And then I want to pivot over and talk about our cows. And apparently there's, they're dying or something like that. Uh, so Anthony Stein, thank you for joining us. Uh, tell us more about the, the bugs in the food. Is this something you said that it was happening in Europe? How, where does it look like in the United States? Well, the, in the United States, regulations are always really squishy about this stuff. And there's already food at, like, specialty foods at, like, Whole Foods and other places that have it in it. And there's some that's already kind of been approved for human consumption. It's whether or not they're going to actually try to put it in, you know, Chef Boyardee or whatever, you know, at the grocery store. If you want to avoid this stuff, the best thing you can do for your health anyway would help you avoid it, which would be to just eliminate the processed foods you don't have to agree on a all meat or mostly meat diet you can just stop eating processed foods and make you know do things like make your own bread let me give you another example why you should stop buying grocery store bread i can't remember the name of the ingredient but there is a uh, it came out that manufacturers of bread are using uh proteins derived from human hair imported from china what? in the bread yeah <laughs> this is this is a real thing and this is from i can't say I'm surprised it's from China where the regulations are non-existent on almost anything and their human rights record is uh, lacking, to, shall we say. But that's in bread in the United States. And if you ever saw how protein, like pea protein, like, you know, green peas, how pea protein, which is often a vegan or vegetarian alternative to protein powders. If you saw how that was processed, it comes from China. 
it's a industrial waste um, leftover byproduct from actual making uh, other processed foods. And then they process it further, turn it into a powder, and ship it back to America to go to be put into various uh, sports drinks and sports products and other things. I am just flabbergasted. While you were speaking, I was like, I got to double check this. There's no way there's Chinese hair in our bread. Uh, fact, a common ingredient in breads derived from human hair harvested in China. You'll find ingredients listed there as L-cystinine. L-cystinine is directly synthesized in laboratories. Most of it is extracted from a cheap and abundant natural protein source, human hair from China. Oh, I, wow. Wow. You want to talk about natural flavors? Oh, oh yeah. You should bring my, that up, Anthony. Yes. Before we, before we go on to cows, <laughs> please ruin natural flavorings to me. I was having this conversation yesterday, or last week. I was talking about Topo Chico with um, my coworker, David Magianis, and I was saying how I really like Topo Chico, and I started doing um, – I love the, the lime Topo Chico. It's very good. And I was telling him, you know – I was watching uh, The Practical Carnivore with Anthony Stein, and he was talking about natural flavoring, and I'm like, yeah. So apparently we have no idea what that is, what that stuff is. I'm Tell not sure what the it. lime is, but raspberry and I think vanilla come from a gland in the, a beaver's backside. Family show, so I'm going to be careful wow, how to say it. But literally, it's extracted from a natural secretion from that part of a beaver's body. I have a lot of questions. <laughs> like... <laughs> How, how did you find out this tasted good? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I, I want to know. Like, yeah, I want to read the diary of the scientist who discovered this and how they discovered it, because there has to be a story there. Yeah. So, you know, no, so point of uh, point of fact, just be wary when you see natural flavoring, because who knows what that means. Um, let's pivot over to talking about the cows. What's going on with that with our cows? Why are they Why are they dying? Well, so in the last couple of years, we've had droughts in America, right? And this led to uh, historically low beef prices last summer. Like I saw four ninety nine a pound ribeye steaks, which is crazy. Like people who normally can't eat fine cuts of steak were buying lots of them because they were cheap. And that was because feed was expensive. So cows were ta- or farmers were taking cows, or they were taking their herds to slaughter and overwhelming the slaughterhouses. And then the cost of beef crashed. So you're going to see beef probably go up 20% in price this year because there just aren't that many herds anymore. That was on top of some weird, like, explosives, explosions of heat in the in uh, the heartland where cows are dropping dead in the fields. But the story we're talking, I think you're, you're referring to, is uh, a story that I'm gonna, I'm covering on my channel. I think today or tomorrow. And I make I tend to make the videos for that channel all in like one day, basically. But they have there's a in Gila National Park in New Mexico. Back in the 1970s, some rancher decided he just was going to abandon a bunch of cows in the national park. And for whatever reason, the feds decided to just leave the cows there. Fifty years later, there's 150 feral cows running around the national park. And now they're going to go and give permits to give to allow people to fly over the farmland with or the, the national park in helicopters and shoot the cows and then just let them rot where they are. And this infuriates me. It really does. There are actual ranchers who are begging to be allowed to buy a permit to go in and just get the cows and domesticate them because cows are an economic resource. They're food. There's a shortage of cattle now. Beef prices are going up, and they're just going to kill these animals and let them rot. It's really amazing. But, again, this is what happens when you let 
you know, government make these kind of decisions instead of actually letting like local authorities do it. It's really just yeah, that is absurd. Is that is absolute absurdity, especially since, like you said, there seems to be a shortage of of cows, and then we're seeing right now with a we had the the swine flu or not the swine flu, the bird flu that went through mm-hmm. and. Birds were dying. They were trying to cull our chickens. And then now we see in Ohio, the chickens are dying from the acid rain or something like that. We don't even know how they're dying, um, but they're dying in, in Ohio. Uh, so I'm curious about that that topic for a second. Are we having a shortage in animal products as a, as a whole? Or is, it, or is it like a push? I'm, I'm conspiratorial about it with the World Health Organization, not World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, and talking about uh, wanting us to eat artificial meat and these kind of things. So I'm just skeptical when I see all these stories of animals dying. Right. And if there isn't something nefarious going on, people should be forgiven for thinking there is something nefarious going on because put it in the context of the aftermath of all the 2020 stuff, you know, the COVID stuff, the aftermath of that. Plus you have all the weird factory food factory fires, which are still going on, by the way. Um, And I have a theory about a legitimate reason why that might be happening. We're talking about buildings that were built in the 1940s, 1950s. Mm. So, you know, these are old. And food factory fires have been a thing for a long time. And the infrastructure in America is just falling apart at this point. So those could be legit excuses. But you factor those things in, and then you get, like, boneheaded government responses to the avian flu. Oh, you have 100,000 chickens, but one of them tested positive for this disease, and now you're required by law to kill all of your chickens. That's, I mean, it's, we're either dealing with, you know, we're finally paying the piper for the really stupid policies that, the, that our government has. It's stupid regulations. What, or there's something going on. But there's, you know, you've got the food, you've got the chickens leading to costs of eggs going up. Uh, it's weird. I saw at the Sam's Club that I go to sometimes an 18 pack of like the cheap eggs went from eight and a half bucks, which had been the all time high. It went down to five and a half. And I thought that was weird. I hadn't seen, you know, a 40% drop in the price of eggs. But then a couple of days later, I was at Walmart and the same price of eggs was $9 at the Walmart. Hmm. So, and Walmart and Sam's Club are owned by the same people. They're the same company. So is this having an effect on eggs? Yeah, it is. You're seeing a huge push for the increasing price of eggs. And now vegan activists are now saying, well, this is a great time because of the increased price of eggs. People are going to start out of desperation, going to go look for the alternatives. I would highly advise people not to eat those things. They're highly processed. Give me an example. There's an alternative to eggs called just eggs. Go read the label on that. Soy contains phytoestrogens. These things have been linked to, you know, lowering testosterone levels in men and health problems in women when consuming too much of it. And you can find this, that's like the main ingredient in any egg substitute is going to be soy. And then seed oils, and seed oils cause inflammation and are thought to be now the, one of the main drivers for heart disease. And these are the things they're trying to get you to eat. They're way cheaper than eggs for a reason, because they're made out of junk. And just stick to real whole food. You know, people. I've noticed that many people who are vegans tend to be still just as overweight, just as unhealthy as people who are on a normal American diet. And you would just assume just because of the propaganda that if someone was a vegan, they'd be more healthy. And is it, is that tied into the, the question of soy and seed oils and that kind of thing? No, it's not. Uh, veganism is not a proper human diet. It's not even anywhere near close to the, on the spectrum of a proper human diet. It's the reason you see people who go vegetarian or vegan have better health outcomes 
than the typical American and eating the typical American diet is because the typical American diet in the last century is horrific. It's bad. At least most vegans who take it seriously try to stick mostly to whole foods. But the sort of the ideological push now is for vegan and plant-based processed foods, which are not going to give people better health outcomes. You know, people who want to slam the vegan diets will always point out that Oreo cookies are vegan. You don't need to go that far to point out how bad this stuff is. All you really have to do is just go look at like egg substitutes or beyond meat, with the beyond meat products or impossible patties and start looking at the consequences people are having for eating those things and the questions people have about some of the weird designer ingredients and that stuff. Yeah, it's really bad. All these major situations. Uh, before we run out of time, uh, tell us about what's coming up on, on Practical Carnivore, some news uh, that we should look forward to so people can go and uh, subscribe to get that news. I'm going to be doing a little bit on looking at what is like more of those insect proteins that are that are in there, like the actual names that you might see them as on like food packaging and food labels. And I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the cattle issue. So as news breaks on that, I'll definitely, you know, talk about that as well as some money saving tips on how to, you know, reduce carbs and not go, go broke because a lot of people say they want to try the carnivore diet, but they, you know, see most carnivore influencers are telling you to eat ribeye steaks, three meals a day, every day, which I, I don't recommend people do just because of cost. That would be ridiculous. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's a, that's a huge factor, especially nowadays. It's, it seems though, as like, yeah, I would love to try the carnivore diet, but I also don't have a million dollars. Um, so that, that's a, it's a serious issue, especially with the price of eggs. Uh, one last thing is uh, return to tradition. Give me the pitch for, for that channel as well. Uh, cover crisis in the church news pretty much daily. And, uh, Usually often from sources you're not going to hear uh, uh, referenced at all here in the United States most of the time. Awesome. Well, make sure you check out Anthony Stein's, both of his channels, Practical Carnivore, for all your food news. And then go check out Return Tradition for a lot of Catholic news that you won't hear elsewhere. Also, he gets some amazing sermons uh, that he reads from the great saints on Sundays. I highly recommend re listening to those. Those are getting way less views in the news, but they should be the reverse. But anyway, God bless you. God love you. We'll see you on the other side for our game show here in Trembling. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross Studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's hearts, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early Church Fathers ever wrote anything 
anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching at the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven, is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. It is here where you'll find the best marriage counselor, greatest healer, wisest teacher, and closest friend. It's a place where you'll escape the chaos of the world and find the lasting peace that only comes from God. Jesus is personally waiting to embrace you now with his divine mercy and healing love. Jesus is calling you home to his sacred heart today. I need a mercy. I need a savior. In your car, at the office, or in your home, we're always here. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. everyone out there in Catholic Radio. I'm Lamont from St. Teresa's Parish, and you're listening to KSHJ 1430 AM, Catholic Radio, Houston. Weekend, congratulations. Just a few more hours. Okay, maybe a lot of hours. Almost 24 hours. But it's almost Friday. Can you believe it? What do you got going on this weekend? I'm curious. I want to know. Join us on our after show. Just hop on to our live streams, YouTube, Facebook, Odyssey, Rumble. If you do that, you can comment down below and we'll engage with you directly. Or you can, and if you're on our private Telegram chat, we'll be interacting with you directly. And just a reminder to our private Telegram chat, folk, we're going through the Aquinas Catechism together. So that'll happen today again at 9 o'clock. Today we're going to go through the biography of St. Thomas, and then we get into the first question of his catechism, which is, what is faith? So that's going to be and during the after show, or not during the after show, during um, in our private Telegram chat at 9 o'clock. Tito, good morning to you. Good morning, sir. Uh, Tito, what did you think about uh, our stories today? We had covered a lot of material, but let's start with the, the bugs. You were telling me uh, a story about the, the vegans during the break we had. Yes, uh, it was in the national news, ironically, the last two two weeks ago, roughly, where the babe, six-month-old baby was rushed to the ER vomiting from, uh, from, and couldn't drink her milk or his milk. And when the doctors asked what kind of milk it was, they said it was almond silk milk. And the doctor explained to the parents the reason why the baby was vomiting it was is there's zero nutritional value for the baby. The baby's body was uh, wanting something like regular milk that had all the nutrients in it needed for the baby to survive and I thought that was an interesting story how these parents uh, and rightly so they, they, they raised their kids wanting to feed them right but a little bit misguided not understanding that maybe a, a toddler and a baby have different needs as they're growing in the early stages of their life yeah that's whew, that's so bad yeah I mean our diets are so strange yet it's not that complicated. I, I really, I got into the carnivore diet years ago 
And I thought it was the most fascinating thing ever. And I was like, you know, I could do that. I already don't eat vegetables and fruit because I just don't like them. And I was like, I could do the carnivore diet. And I tried it for a couple months, um, like two years ago, I think it was. And uh, it was really good. It, I lost some weight and it was not that hard. I ended up falling off of it just because it was just difficult uh, to eat food from my parents and family uh, and doing the carnivore. But in terms of like doing it on my own, I mean, it's just a lot of eggs a lot of butter, cheese, bacon, bacon. And so it's not that not that difficult in, in reality, but our diets are so bad. I don't know why we think that eating processed foods and all these things, and I love that processed food stuff, man. I enjoy it way too much. On, on Fat Tuesday, I had ice cream from Bluebell, lots of processed things and that, but it was so good. Did you have so good. Velveeta cheese? I did not have Velveeta cheese. Yeah, that's I, I don't like Velveeta cheese. I got a bone to pick with Blue Bell. You know, being a, a Texas company, Why? love Texas by the way. But uh, yeah, well, what's up with the ingredient list? You know, they're like, "Well, it's the most natural, this is high end." Nobody cream. called it natural. And then you look at the ingredients, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what is all this stuff in here? All you need is cream and sugar and I don't flavoring. know, whatever natural it is flavoring they add into TM it makes it taste delicious." Trademark over. Uh, I don't know what they add to it. Um, those are, it's a long list. They never claim to be natural. Uh, but the second thing is, uh, man, that stuff that's bad for you tastes so good. Don't know what it is, but it tastes so good. But anyway, uh, Tito, your yep. thoughts on the, on the hospice care story. You're telling me that, uh, about your, you experienced something with the hospice care industry. Yes. Uh, God rest my father's soul as we were, uh, accompanying him in his, uh, hospice care, the doctor, would come by every six to 12 hours insisting on removing nutrition and uh, liquids from him, saying that he's going to die soon. He ended up uh, living for two and a half more days, and he was persistent every day. And, he, and, and I know, and Rudy said it so, so well, how, how sly they were, saying that, oh, it, it's for his own good. He's suffering too much at this moment. And uh, we kept saying, no, he's, he's not really suffering, uh, just maybe a tap more of morphine or, or, or whatever it is, a sedative for him, and don't remove his liquids or his, or his uh, nutrients. And it was an educational experience. I, I really, when I heard about what happened with my father, we immediately flew over, and I, and I did, a, did a deep dive on, on hospice care. I was completely unaware of how pushy they were. And on that note... There was a, a great uh, EWTN special. Uh, I can't remember the title of it, but it was three years ago about hospice care in Europe, especially the Netherlands, and where it was by law you were allowed now to euthanize elderly people if they approved of it. And this one elderly woman uh, gave the, power, the equivalent of the power of attorney to her children, and her children were convinced by the doctor that she was going to die soon and in, and was suffering. So why don't we increase the morphine and have her die peacefully? And as the nurses and the and they agreed, as the nurses and the doctor approached her, she overheard the woman, the this grandmother, overheard and stood up from her bed and was fending him off with her arms. Feeble lady, I saw the video and, and the nurses were trying to get the IV and the doctor was, was pushing her down. It was such a disheartening uh, view of what was going on. And, and that was just one story. And it wasn't an outlier. It was many, many uh, 
sons and, and daughters were complaining that they received a notice in the mail that they euthanized their parents because it, it had come time for them to pass away, and they were not given uh, a notification uh, prior to administering it. So it's coming over here if we don't put a stop breaks to it right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was really surprised when I was doing the research that there was even house bills being uh, proposed to restrict um, this push of euthanasia, this push of made, made medical assistance in dying. And just like I was, we were talking about yesterday, this is I, uh, probably going to become a, a through line in the show is the being consistent and the slippery slope argument. Being consistent. We, we need to be consistent with our ideas. When we have an idea, whether it be a legislation idea or a philosophical idea, it needs to, we need to look at it and say, okay, wh wh how did we get here and where does this lead? And so once we can figure that out, then we can start saying, okay, let's see, is this a good idea to do? Because if we start allowing elderly people to euthanize themselves, what's, what's the reasoning behind that? Okay, the reasoning is we want to mitigate suffering. Okay, so if we're mitigating suffering, what's the purpose of that? Oh, it's because they're terminally ill. Okay, so why do we do that with only the elderly? Okay, well, if that's the case, then we have to allow all people who are terminally ill. So if you're a young person, you have cancer, then you should be able to kill yourself too. Okay, well, who gets to define what's, what is serious enough illness? Uh, what if I'm just really, really depressed? That's a, that's a real illness according to the medical industry, right? And so what if I'm like, I am terminally depressed? Okay, well, then I guess we get to execute you then too. We get to have, have euthanasia and that point as well. And then so on and so forth, you can extrapolate it further and further. So we have to find out in a particular circumstance, our emotions not get the best of us because we say, oh, but that person is suffering so much. And they may be, but the answer isn't to execute them, to allow them to kill themselves. Because if we allow that, even though it may tug on our heartstrings, it's not the right thing to do. And it leads to disastrous outcomes. In 1930s Germany, eugenics got a good hold of the government and they started euthanizing uh, people with mental disabilities, people with physical disabilities. And there was not an outcry, there was not a fight, there was nothing that I'm aware of that the German public stood up and wanted to prevent this. It was told in the same beautiful language that we hear today. In 1930s Germany, that was when the National Socialist Party took over and, re and, uh, and overtook the Weimar Republic. So it's within living memory of this occurring, and we're doing the same mistakes that the Germans did in, 19, in the 1930s. This is, this is a little bit scary. Yeah, it's very scary. We should definitely keep an eye on that story and the things that come out of it, especially if we look at Canada and see what's going on there, because... Usually what happens in Canada is just a couple, it used to be years away, but now it's like months away from what we're doing in America. But that's a very interesting point to make. And, you know, like I said before, I'm not saying this is every person's experience. I'm not saying that you, if you're working in hospice care industry, that you're a bad person because there is good Catholic hospice cares. There are hospice cares run by nuns. There's Catholic ones that adhere to Catholic teaching. Um, and then there are good Catholics working in secular hospice cares that are trying their best to live according to the dictates of the church. And I saw this document. If you're a hospice care worker, you should do some research on this topic. So that way you know what to, how to react when this happens. Because you may be asked by a patient. Because I was talking earlier about situations where the, the hospice 
is encouraging the the patient to die, whereas there are many cases that I've been told of where the patient requests the hospice care to help them die. And now it becomes a moral dilemma for the workers there. And if you work as a Catholic at a hospice care facility that allows that, how are you going to react? I will do not envy your situation, um, but you can't support them killing themselves. You can't aid in that. But then can you still give them care? Can you still do to make them comfortable? Well, I would say yes, but I understand how that can be a very difficult situation that you find yourself in because then you feel, okay, am I cooperating with their self-murder? Honestly, if I was in that situation, I'd probably say, hey, to my supervisor, I can't in good conscience work on this case. Can someone else be, be get in charge of that and I'll take on someone else's case? Uh, but I don't know. It's something that you need to start thinking about and we need to start discussing as a community. And I, like I mentioned before, a document, the Good Samaritan put out by the, the, the CDF, the Congregation of Doctrine of Faith, was actually really good. It's 45 pages. I didn't, wasn't able to read all of it. So I don't know. Maybe there's something in there that's not good, but I read a good chunk of it and it seems to be pretty good on, and talking about that and the role of the family and the hospice and what they're supposed to be versus what they actually are in many cases. And not every case, I understand, it's not every case. And I'm also not condemning uh, your choices in the past, because I don't know, maybe your situation, everything was good, and everything was hunky-dory. Or maybe it was bad, but it wasn't your fault, you didn't know better. You, you weren't aware that was going to happen. Uh, so you just have to keep those things in mind. And then lastly, we talked about this yesterday, and we talked about this earlier, is the topic of suffering, right? Like the value of suffering, how we can offer up our pains for the greater glory of God and for the salvation of souls. And every morning, my, my prayer is that I offer up all my pains, sufferings, joys, sorrows, prayers for the salvation of souls and the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for the souls in purgatory, and my benefactors. And so that's something that we can do. We can offer up those things and save someone's soul. I think that's very important that we keep that in mind, and especially during the holy season of Lent where we're told the gospel for today was take up your cross daily and follow me, right? And so if we're going to take up our cross daily, the season of Lent is the time to do it. It's a time to say, I am going to offer up these little sufferings, or maybe they're big sufferings. Maybe they're ginormous sufferings and say, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to suffer and recognize that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God will not give you a cross that you cannot bear with his help. That's a very important distinction. People like to say that God will never give you a cross you can't bear. That's not true. Sometimes you have a cross that is impossible for you to carry. It's too heavy, but not with his help. Because our Lord says, my burden is light. His yoke is easy. But how is that the case? Because a yoke is not carried by one person. It is yoked to Christ. And when you're carrying that yoke with Christ, he's side by side with you, suffering alongside with compassion Compassion means what? To suffer with, to co-passion. When you have that opportunity, then you can endure anything. Because you know it is Christ who strengthens you. You're not living on your own strength, but by Christ's strength. 
And with that, we're going to jump into our game show, Fear and Trembling. Make sure you call now, 877-757-9424. On that happy note, 877-757-9424 is the number to call. And you could be our contestant on today's episode of Fear and Trembling, 877-757-9424. One more time slower because I speak too fast. 877-757-9424. We'll be right back. We all know children have a natural innocence and a sense of wonder. Yet our world is full of distractions that can pull families in the wrong direction. But with the help of God and a church family, your children can grow in the security of faith, hope, and love. Weekly Mass provides that critical faith foundation needed in life. So if your family hasn't been to Mass in a while, we'd like to invite you home. Discover more at catholicscomehome.org. I promise to love you in good times and in bad, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. On your wedding day, you made this vow to your spouse in the presence of God and all those present. These are not words to be taken lightly. And the reality is that the responsibilities of marriage and family can be challenging at times. Good times can become bad in the blink of an eye. Things like financial hardship and sickness, among others, very often bring about fears and anxieties that make it difficult to be as loving as we should be. There is a simple Latin phrase to keep on hand when fear and anxiety take over our thoughts. Quid est hoc ad aeternitatum? What is this in the light of eternity? In other words, keep things in proper perspective. While the challenges here on this earth seem like a big deal at the moment, they are but a flash in the pan compared to all of eternity in heaven. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. Check us out on Facebook. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross Studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. is the number to call and you can be the contestant on fear and trembling our Catholic trivia game show. The number is 877-757-9424. And right now I'm looking over and I don't see the callers lighting up yet, which means that we have an opportunity for you to be the contestant. How do you do so? You have to pick up your phone and dial 877-757-9424. If you dial that number, you will be our contestant on our game show, Fear and Trembling. And as I'm looking over, I don't see a caller. So 877-757-9424. And we had a few people calling yesterday and the, the phones lit up afterwards. And I was like, oh man, I hope these people are able to call back the next day. Wouldn't want them to miss out. 
But that number to call is 877-757-9424. And if you don't get on today, because I just saw the, the phone lines light up, if you don't get on today, then make sure you call in tomorrow. Be sure that you have that number on speed dial so you can hop on as soon as the game show starts so you can be a contestant and possibly win this week's prize, which is uh, what can we win, Tito? We can win a CDD prize pack of a coffee cup with divine providence on it and the signatures of Adrian, myself, and what will soon be very, in, uh, very valuable because of his uh, lateral move to a, to a new position, Rudy's signature as well. So get on the line and uh, <clears throat> participate, please. All right, the that number so you can write it down for for the next day is 877-757-9424 and uh, that number uh is the number to call for every day of the week. So make sure you keep that on speed dial so you can hop on anytime. But yeah, the coffee cup of divine providence a replica of it. This is a collector's item, very very important. But joining us right now is Brendan. Good morning to you, Brendan. Uh Tito, you're going to have to put them on air. Brendan, are you there? He's on. Okay. Well, as soon as we're able to hear him, uh, Brendan will be able to join us. Uh, but we'll – there you go. Are you there, Brendan? Hi, yes. Good morning. Perfect. Thank you very much, Brendan. Um, Brendan, where are you calling from? From San Antonio, Texas. Awesome. The great the great St. Anthony. Uh, do y'all, is there like a St. Anthony procession every year in San Antonio? Um, I believe so, yes. There is also a St. Anthony uh, – Parish Church here. Wonderful, wonderful. And mm -hmm. the, we should have more cities named after saints, like San, San Antonio. That was, that, is that what makes San Antonio truly great? <laughs> I think so, yes. There's a lot of great uh, landmarks and historic value here, but definitely uh, being named after a saint is awesome here. Yeah, praise be to God. Where do, what parish do you go to? Uh, so I go to a parish called Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit Parish. I don't think I've ever been there. I'll have to uh, check it out next time I'm in the San Antonio area. Uh, but mm -hmm. are you familiar with uh, how the game works, Brendan? No, this is actually my first time calling, but I've been uh, listening to uh, 89.7 for uh, a few months now. Praise be to God. That's awesome. Well, welcome to the show. And uh, the it's very simple. The game is very straightforward. It's going to be very easy. The I'm going to ask three questions. The three questions uh -huh. are going to be asked not to you, Brendan, but I'm going to ask Rudy, and I'm going to ask Tito the questions, and it's going to be their job to tell me what they think the answer is. And it's going to be your job to tell me who's right and who's wrong, and it's going to be a 50-50 chance because one of them will be right, one of them will be wrong. So no matter what, it's a 50-50 chance of you getting the question correct. So are you ready to play? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. We'll start with uh, Rudy, which is our custom. Uh, good morning to you, Rudy. Hey, good morning, Adrian. Good morning. The question is, who is Ireland's patron saint? Which we're, mm. we're waiting for the music. Hey, okay. There we go. All right. There we go. Ireland's patron saint. Well, you think it's pretty clear cut, right? It's obviously... Gonna want to bring that music bring down. Bring that down, You would think it's obviously, it's, you know, the most famous one. Everybody knows him. But right. actually, it's St. Bridget. St. Bridget oh. is Ireland's patron saint. Some would say patroness. St. Bridget of Sweden. Yes. Wow. No, of Ireland. Oh, St. Bridget of Ireland. That's right, Ireland. Okay, well, there you go, folks. All right, Tito, same question to you. 
Who is Ireland's patron saint? Ireland's patron saint. I would go with the famous Roman, St. Patrick. St. Patrick, you're saying? Yes. Uh, who is not Irish. Who is not Irish at all. Right, right. Okay. Well, Brendan, uh, 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, who is Ireland's patron saint? Rudy seems to think that the answer is St. Bridget of Ireland, while as Tito mm -hmm. saying it's St. Patrick, who was not even born in Ireland. Uh, what say you, Brendan? 15 seconds on the clock. What say you? Uh... I would say St. Patrick as well. St. Patrick. Mm -hmm. Very good. You nailed it. 15 seconds and you got it. Easy peasy. And, you know, it's a little bit of a tricky question because isn't St. Bridget also a patron of Ireland? <laughs> like, aren't they both? They're co-patrons? Well, yeah, that's true. So, but you got it anyways. Nonetheless, uh, Brendan, you nailed it. Which, Brendan, that's a very, uh, is that that's an Irish name, right? Uh, it is, actually. I am part Irish, so it's funny enough that's the first question. There you go. There you go. Divine Providence right there. Uh, so are you ready for the second question, Brendan? I am, yes. Thank you. Then let's jump into it. Tito, the question goes to you. What is the name given to the mitre adorned with a triple crown and worn by the Pope? Wow. That's a tough one. Triple crown. I'd say diadem. A diadem. Yes. Uh, Gesundheit. Thank you. Yes. Di diadem? Diadem. Is that, that means like someone died. No, it's actually uh, Latin for many stars. Oh, okay. All right then. Well, Rudy, uh, same question to you. What is the name given to the mitre adorned with a triple crown and worn by the Pope? <laughs> Are you sure that the Pope wears this? I'm pretty sure. I mean, they're supposed to. Oh, oh. Okay. I don't know if he actually does. Well, uh, we haven't seen this in a while. It's called a papal tiara. A papal tiara. And it tiara. symbolizes the supreme authority of the Pope. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, 15 seconds on the clock. Brendan, the question is, what is the name given to the mitre adorned with a triple crown and worn by the Pope? Well, Rudy seems to think it's the papal tiara, whereas Tito seems to think it's called a diadem, or a diadem, rather. 15 mm -hmm. seconds on the clock, Brendan, what say you? Is it Tito, is it Rudy, is it tiara, or is it diadem? Uh, you said it, it was a, a mitre, is that right? Yes, sir. Uh, that would be a tiara. Wow, Nailed it, Brendan. Brendan wow. is great job, brother. You just, you already knew that, didn't you? You didn't even need to the the questions, right? You didn't need them to give you an answer. You knew that. He showed his math too. He was like, okay, so it's the shape of a mitre. Uh -huh. Okay, so the closest uh -huh. thing close to that would be a tiara. Oh wow! Nailed it. Amazing. That was a brilliant, brilliant of you, Brendan. Um, and yes, do you? Uh, here's a bonus question. Do you know who was the last pope to wear a papal tiara? That I'm actually not too familiar with. No, I'm still learning my popes. Uh, I am actually going through the RCI process right now. Hey, hey. Well, welcome to the church. Praise be to God, Brendan. Well, now you can go to your RCIA class and tell them that the last pope to wear the papal tiara was Paul VI. And if I'm not mistaken, I think that the Catholic University of America, the, the basilica there, actually has it. They have the papal tiara of Paul VI. But I say make papal tiaras great again let's bring them back i love them they're amazing and they the pope should wear them again
And walking processions. And walking processions would be with very full cool. With full volumes. But let's jump with the third. With, yeah, oh, you're going to get me off the topic. Uh, the, <laughs> the third question. Are you ready, Brendan? Yes, thank you. Awesome. Let's do it. This one, I'm pretty sure you're going to nail it. Uh, the question goes to Rudy first. Complete the third beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. Okay. Um, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Foreshadowing? Oh, wow. Okay, there you go. Uh, Tito, same question to you. Complete the third beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. For they shall be consoled. Consoled. Is consoled different from comforted? I'm, okay. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock, Brendan. I guess this question was much trickier than I first anticipated. But the question is, complete the third beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. The question, uh, the answer from Rudy is, for they shall be comforted. The answer from Tito is, for they shall be consoled. 15 seconds on the clock, Brendan. Is it Tito? Is it Rudy? What say you? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I think that's from Matthew 5 4. Matthew 5 4. He knew it. I knew he's going to get that one right. I I agree. Uh, Brendan, you, sir, are clearly a man of brilliance. That was tough. And uh, you'll be teaching the RCA class next year, I'm sure. Is that correct? I am actually looking to become a sponsor for my RCA class. There you go. Praise be to God. That's amazing, Brendan. Now you have, uh, I I mean, I was going to say you learned something new today, but I think you already knew all that information. Is that right? Yes, lots of that I've learned in the last six months, for sure. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. That's amazing. Uh, where are you off to for today? Um, today, I am about to head to, actually, to my parish. We have a a, a 24-hour uh, room where we can uh, spend time with uh, Jesus Christ himself. So I'm, I'm actually about to spend some time there with him. Amazing. Good amazing. Uh, I'm Brendan. Uh, pray for us at the CDT team. We would appreciate your prayers. We'll be praying for you. Uh, well, thank you very much for calling. Stay on hold, and we'll get your contact information so we can draw your name if you're the winner for tomorrow. But uh, that's going to do it for today. Uh, God bless you, Brendan, and have a blessed day. You as well. Have a blessed day. Thank you so much. Absolutely. And that's going to do it for today's show. If you can join us in the after show, which is on YouTube, Facebook, Rumble, Odyssey, just look up Catholic Drive Time. You can join us and chat with us directly there. Or if you're not, then we'll see you tomorrow, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. And tomorrow, we're going to be drawing the name of the winner of the Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 in polar white. So make sure you're tuned in at the 7 o'clock Central Time Hour here on Guadalupe Radio Network on the Catholic Drive Time Show. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas.
The glory of these forty days we celebrate with songs of praise. For Christ, by whom all things were made, himself has fasted and has prayed. Alone and fasting, Moses saw the loving God who gave the law, and to Elisha fasting came the steeds and chariots of flame. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God, and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kyrie eleison. Kyrie eleison. Christ eleison. Christ eleison. Let us pray. God of all creation, who were pleased to give the Bishop St. Polycarp a place in the company of the martyrs, grant through his intercession that sharing with him in the chalice of Christ, we may rise through the Holy Spirit to eternal life. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Reading from the book of Deuteronomy. Moses said to the people, Today I have set before you life and prosperity, death and doom. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I enjoin on you today, loving him and walking in his ways, and keeping his commandments, statutes, and decrees, you will live and grow numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to occupy. If, however, you turn away your hearts and will not listen, but are led astray and adore and serve other gods, I tell you now that you will certainly perish. You will not have a long life in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and occupy. I call heaven and earth today to witness against you. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life, then, that you and your descendants may live by loving the Lord your God, heeding his voice, and holding fast to him. For that will mean life for you, a long life for you to live on the land that the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
The word of the Lord. Blessed are they who hope in the Lord. Blessed are they who hope in the Lord. Blessed the man who follows not the counsel of the wicked, nor walks in the way of sinners, nor sits in the company of the insolent, but delights in the law of the Lord, and meditates on his law day and night. Blessed are they who hope in the Lord. He is like a tree planted near running water, that yields its fruit in due season, and whose leaves never fade. Whatever he does prospers. Blessed are they who hope in the Lord. Not so the wicked, not so. They are like chaff, which the wind drives away. For the Lord watches over the way of the just, but the way of the wicked vanishes. Blessed are they who hope in the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Repent, says the Lord, the kingdom of God is at hand. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer greatly and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and on the third day be raised. Then he said to all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What profit is there for one to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit himself? The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. morning's first reading from the book of Deuteronomy, we see Moses placing before the people the choice between life and death, between blessing and a curse. And the criteria Moses lays out is quite simple. If you want to choose the path to life, if you want to choose the, the path of blessing, then you are to follow God's commands to live in his ways and to follow him. If you want to choose the path of the curse or the path toward death, then move in the opposite direction quite simply. It's a very simple principle, and in many ways, as it marks the beginning of our Advent season, we are reminded that in a special way in Advent, we are called to grow in interior freedom, whereby we are people who are growing in virtue to consistently choose the good, to choose Jesus Christ, to choose to follow him, and to reject all that is evil. In other words, we use our free will to determine the kind of people that we become. Remember St. John Paul II, when he was still Karl Wojtyla, he wrote a book called The Acting Person. And he pointed out that the human person is both the subject and the object of their action. Or the subject of their action in the sense that it's me who is exerting an effect out there in the world who's doing something. 
and where the object of our action in the sense that what we do looks back and says something about who we are. So if I go out there and steal something, it's me who is taking something, I'm exerting an effect in the world, but what I do looks back at me and says, unfortunately, because you took something that's not yours, you are a thief. There's no real separating the two things. What we do, what we think about, it is a reflection of who we are. And Lent for us is an opportunity to examine and think, where am I in my moral and spiritual life and what can I do to grow in interior freedom to more consistently choose the good and to reject what is evil? I suppose another way of putting the formulation would be, we human beings choose what kind of inputs we put into our mind, the kind of music we listen to, the shows we watch on TV, the people we keep as friends. And all these inputs into our mind help us to generate thoughts about different things. And our thoughts lead toward intentions, intentions in terms of things that we want in our life, things that we are searching for that we think will make us happy. Intentions lead to actions. Actions form habits. Habits shape a character and character ultimately helps to determine our destiny. In this holy season of Lent, we are reminded that we are called to put into our mind the sacred input of the Word of God, to put in the things of God into our mind so that we would have holy thoughts, holy intentions which would lead us to good and charitable actions that would help form virtuous habits, that would form a decisive Christian character, that would determine a destiny that says, we belong totally to Christ. In this morning's gospel, we see Jesus laying out before us really the path toward blessing and the path toward life, which is this path of self-gift, whereby we are willing to lose ourselves for the sake of Jesus Christ in order to fully find life in him. And losing ourselves means also the willingness to be able to take up our cross to bear whatever hardships, challenges, and sufferings that we have in our life and to follow humbly after Jesus and to be willing to unite all of our offerings and sufferings with Christ on the cross, knowing that there is where true salvation and redemption is to be found. So my brothers and sisters, today as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that we would always use our free will to put holy inputs and thoughts into our mind that we would choose to do good things and to follow Christ and we would truly choose to give our life totally to Jesus to live for him to take up our cross daily and in him to find blessing life and true freedom amen We should pour forth prayers at all times, dear brothers and sisters. But above all, in these days of Lent, we ought to watch more intently with Christ and direct our petitions more fervently to God. For the whole Christian people, that in this sacred time, they may be more abundantly nourished by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the whole world, that in lasting tranquility and peace, our days may truly become the acceptable time of grace and salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For sinners and the neglectful, 
that in this time of reconciliation they may return to Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For ourselves and all those joining us, that God may at last stir up in our hearts aversion for our sins. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Prompt our actions with your inspiration, we pray, O Lord, and further them with your constant help, that all we do may always begin from you and by you be brought to completion. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Take up your cross, the Savior said, If you would my disciple be, Deny yourself, the world forsake, And humbly follow after me. Take up your cross, let not its weight Fill your weak spirit with alarm. His strength shall bear your spirit up, and shall brace your heart and nerve your arm. Take up your cross, heed not the shame, and let your foolish heart be still. The Lord for you accepted death upon a cross on Calvary's hill. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice at your hands for the praise and glory of his name, for our good and the good of all his holy church. Regard with favor, O Lord, we pray, the offerings we set upon this sacred altar, that bestowing on us your pardon, our oblations may give honor to your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you have given your children a sacred time for the renewing and purifying of their hearts that freed from disordered affections, they may so deal with the things of this passing world as to hold rather to the things that eternally endure. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis Uncerli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, 
You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. For on the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with this Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Polycarp, and with all the saints in whose constant intercession in your presence we rely for unfailing help. May this sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the Order of Bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, 
All glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum cordinianum, da nobis hodie, et dimite nobis terita nostra, sicur et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Only say the word and my soul shall be healed. For those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. 
Amen. Adoro te devote latens deitas, visus tarque subis figuris vere latitas, tibi secor meum totum subjicit, we are contemplants totum deficit. Visus tactus gustus in te falitu. Set auditus solo tuto creditu. Credo quid quid ixit Dei filius, Nil hoc verbo veritatis verius. In cruce latebat sola deitas, Arig latet simul et humanitas. Ambo tamen credens atque confitens, peto quod petivit latro penitens. Plagasigu Thomas non in tuo, Deum tamen meum te confiteo. Ag me tibi semper magis credere, in te spem habere, te deligere. Amen. Let us pray. Having received the blessing of your heavenly gifts, we humbly beseech you, Almighty God, that they may always be for us a source both of pardon and of salvation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Almighty God, who have made known to your people the ways of eternal life, lead them by that path, we pray, to you, the unfading light. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ave Regina Celorum, Ave Domina Angelorum, Salve Radix, Salve Porta, Ex Quo Mundo Lux Est Orta, Gaude Virgo Gloriosa, Super Omnes Vegiosa, Vale o valde decora, et pro nobis Christum exora.
The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary, we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, this is Joseph Earthman from St. Teresa.